Wealth can mean a, a few dollars in the bank. Wealth can mean a billion dollars, right? doesn't matter. Like that's what cash you have to your name. Um, what you have is a result of how you've chosen to live your life to up until now and certainly how you continue to choose it later, just like how our physical health is. Like if I choose to go eat McDonald's every single day, conceptually, we all know that I will probably inhibit poor health outcomes either now or sometime down the road. And so I actively choose to be proactive about the things that I put in my body. The question is, why don't we choose to be proactive about how we manage our finances, which have an even more detrimental healthcare outcome to our bodies, to our minds, to our communities, to the economy or at large. Are you ready to ethically scale your business? Good. Because this is the Mind of George podcast, where relationships beat algorithms and depth is the only direction when it comes to ethically scaling your business. Each Monday and Friday, I'll be the guy between your ears in the hoodie and pink shoes guiding you home, giving you the tools to extract, honor, and amplify your genius so you can be the light for your customers. Sound fabulous? Cool. Let's get into the episode. I just got taken to school in finance, money management, and habit creation that makes me feel like I'm going to be a billionaire sometime in the next couple of years. Today's podcast had to be one of the funnest interviews that I've ever done. And it was just note after note after bomb after bomb. And I am having trouble summarizing it down how much value, how many lessons, and how many tangible takeaways are packed into this episode. We have the incredible Maya, who is the co-founder of Navit, Navit Money, and she absolutely blew my mind on habits around money, wealth creation, the constants in your life, how to habit stack, make money fun, change your perception, use it to create wealth, and so much more. And I will tell you, the only notes I wrote, because I was listening so intently, uh, is she asked one question in this show. And the answer to this one question collapsed about 10 years of stress for me, but I was never willing to ask myself this question. And so I'm going to ask you when you get to the question to write it down and give it a whole lot of thought, because I feel like Superman right now, ready to take over the world. And so I'm going to stop bumping my gums. I'm going to let you get into the episode, but strap in for a fun, laugh-filled, incredible episode that's loaded with knowledge. And Maya, thanks for coming on the show. And for all of you, let's get into the episode. Today, I have a, one of those rare occasions of having an incredible guest that I just found, and I can only say I know her because of my extensive internet stalking skills, but either way, I am honored to have her. She is a, the mother of an English Labrador, an absolute queen in the space, a female entrepreneur, breaking ground in space, entrepreneur, and bridging the gap between financial literacy, gamification, and empowering human beings to get financially literate to invest in their current self and their future while making it fun. And so I'm honored, excited, humbled, and I have my notebook ready to take a ton of notes because I already know this episode is going to go right to my shadows. And so without further ado, Maya, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, George. I'm super excited to be here. And uh, I think I need to take you on tour with me. That was a wonderful intro. <laughs> I, I will say everybody, like I, just so you know, I have a secret like obsession with freestyle rap. And I, I watched I it for fun. Yeah. yeah. And I, I can't rap and I, well, let me, 
somebody corrected me. I choose not to rap and I choose not to sing, but uh, speaking is my game. And so I love being everybody's hype man. So if you need a road show, you need an intro for a keynote, I am your guy. I want it. That's awesome. Yeah. I love it. So um, I actually want this context before we dive into like all the incredible things that you talk about and you know from financial literacy and stress and things like that. But you've kind of been in this game for a while and kind of paving the way through apps and raising capital. But can you give all of us just for some context, like where did you get started? How did you get going? And like, how did we land the plane here to like current Maya? Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you had asked me five years ago if I knew I would become a fintech, we kind of straddle like the health and fintech lens. So we say we're a health tech, uh, we're a health platform that's fintech enabled. So whatever you want to call us in that sphere. But if you had told me that I was leading uh, really probably even a technical team five years ago, I probably would have laughed. My like, you know, and when you go to college, you get like the, the, superlatives or maybe it's high school right you get the superlatives everybody was like oh Maya's gonna be like the top buyer at Barney's one day or like something in the fashion <laughs> and media space um I I grew up in marketing um set out on a sports marketing career love the space former I mean art like is anybody a former athlete like I'm I'm still an athlete but you know I choose not to compete full-time um, yeah I like that I, I grew up in that space yeah my age probably is a factor of choosing not to do it anymore, but yes. Um, <laughs> and found myself in sports marketing, found myself doing that abroad in London, um, stayed over there for a business degree, uh, and then got recruited to this tiny tech firm out of the Bay Area called Bridge Athletic, um, where the kind of whole focus was how do you create um, an assistant coach experience for athletes that are training at the highest caliber of their sport and doing so all around the world um, and giving them, you know, quality access to their unique personalized training programs from their phone on the go. Um, it was a ride. I was one of the founding members of that company, still exists today. The team is crushing it, turned a profit, the whole thing. Um, expanded into various different markets. And over time, while I was there, I got really interested in this kind of intersection of stress and its impact on physical performance, right? Like I'm again a big athlete, I'm addicted to physical performance outcomes. I'm a quantified self, you know, whoop where uh, I have all the apps, all the things. And uh, anyway, so I was I was kind of, you know, doing a lot of qualitative mainly, but some quantitative research too around what were the kind of external factors inhibiting the success for our athletes, specifically a huge population of female athletes who were underperforming or hitting their, you know, underperforming in their metrics, getting injured. Um, but they were doing all the right things, right? On paper, they were training the right way. They were getting the right amount of game time, doing kind of, again, the quantitative stuff well, who started to introduce kind of that self-performance score well before, um, you know, we we're all using Apple Apple Watch and, and all the other things. And what we found was stress was actually a really key inhibitor and not just stress. When asked about what was really inducing that stress chronically over time, the resounding answer was financial stress. Because as we know, most athletes who choose to perform at these incredible levels and choose to do so professionally and at you know, 12, 14-hour days um, are grossly underpaid and right they're averaging an income of under $40,000 a year and asked to perform all, you know, again. And to only do that, it's not like they can pick up a side hustle. 
So that kind of gave me the the fintech bug. I guess that's kind of how I landed here. Um, I got really interested in personal financial management, figuring out ways in which we like why we continue to fail as you know the the wealthiest country in the world to better educate and better kind of um, like bolster our capacity for managing our money. Um, fast forward to 2019, an executive coach who I was working with paired me with my now co-founder who's a behavioral scientist Aaron Popworth mm. um who wanted to build a high growth approach to financial behavioral change um she had done so in kind of a service setting running huge you know eight figure funds um abroad and figuring out really core kind of behavioral routines for how you can actually improve not just your own financial capacity but what that does for your economic mobility um and obviously i got you know, addicted by the idea. And since we had basically built out a fitness technology, we knew that we could also kind of use an AI ML structure to build out a similar automated coaching um, roadmap for financial services. So that's what we do. Yeah. Wow. So I feel very undereducated and very inspired <laughs> right now. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to look up half those words. And I'm okay, I'm really sorry. I cannot unpack any of them. My husband no. is like, my husband is like, she uses acronym, you know, whomever he's talking to. Like, apparently I'm an acronym queen. And oh, yeah. uh, it's really annoying. So I'm very sorry. No, no, I do the same thing to everybody else. But typically I'm the guy. And so hearing right, it well, in a different lens with like fintech, I'm like, oh, wait, no, I know what that means. Wait, I know what that means. Hold on, I'm figuring that out. And I was like, oh, this is how people feel when I when I do this to them. And I'm, I'm throwing yeah, out marketing acronyms all day. I love it. I love it. I love it. And so then when did you found, so what's, what's the name of the company? It's called Navit? Called Navit. Sorry. I, okay. Yes. Um, Navit, uh, Navit Inc. We formed the company in 2018. Technically, Aaron uh, formed it in 2018. I came on to join in 2019, launched a beta uh, late 2019, launched the kind of fully built product uh, with a bank partner March of 2020. Like, three days before we all heard of the term COVID for the first time, which yeah. was super interesting. And then of course, uh, 12 months later, nine to 12 months, really nine, we had to start going out to fundraise. So we're also venture backed. And I mean, unless you've been living under a rock and that's cool with you for the last couple of years, like fundraising, doing anything remotely is just far more challenging. I see the cost benefit analysis of remote work. We are a remote team. I'm incredibly familiar with it we've been remote i was remote at bridge for a time um but fundraising remotely is like a whole nother kettle of fish especially fundraising as a minority founder i mean a, you know female female founder yep. um for the first time and so like actually networking with this kind of community in this way for the first time this was my, not my first entrance into venture capital but it was from the founder hat uh and it was rough um now figured it out but it just like you don't wish that on your worst enemy <laughs> oh oh for sure for sure yeah. i can't even yes. imagine without the whining and dining and the kissing hands shaking hands and kissing babies and so i actually think yeah. that's a that's a good segue because like i hear you speak right and you're over here like just crushing smiling happy <laughs> leading an app in the fintech space, venture backed and like my brain of being under the hood of so yeah. many businesses. And I was like, man, you're really good. You're really <laughs> good. Because those days, like I was like biting off my fingernails and not sleeping. 
And you've like kind of ridden this like roller coaster. So like, how have you managed? Like, what are your tips, your strategies for like managing so much and like riding that wave while building it? Um, I really appreciate you saying that. I will say my grace varies <laughs> like throughout the Got day, let alone throughout the week. Um, You're on your best behavior for the podcast, but I'll I'm take on this the best like behavior. Normal. Yeah, exactly. My internal team's like, the hell? Like, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, I, you know, I think that I think that it's really important to uh, kind of recognize your strengths as a founder. You know, I think Erin says it best uh, since she was the sole founder before I came on board. Like the value of finding something to go and somebody to go into the trenches with you and serve as kind of you, you know, your other half and understanding that, yeah, we do a lot of fabulous things together. She does, you know, she goes on tour a lot. She does a bunch of um, external facing stuff as well. She also leads the sales team now. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, you kind of have to like lean into where your strengths are as a founder, especially when you're fundraising and like try and put blinders on and focus on that one key thing. Um, as much as you can, like, I mean, full context, I'm about, I'm supposed to close around next week. So like, I'm also doing this, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, you're always, you kind of have to be comfortable with putting yourself out there in any situation. And, and frankly, like always saying yes, at least on the external stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're not that kind of founder, if you're more say introverted, that's totally fine, but find a co-founder that's that's extroverted in the true raw meaning of the word, which means that you gain energy from more and more interaction with other human beings. And I am fundamentally that human being. Like we just came back from, you know, 10 days in three different conferences and the last four were in Vegas, four days were in Vegas. And I, I come home and I don't sleep for five days because I'm like so energized and like basically get, you know, three months of work done in four days. Um, so I think, you know, it's, yeah, I think you have to have grace and like patience with yourself of understanding what kind of founder you want to be, because there's literally no archetype for it. Um, and people that say that there is just like, frankly, a horrible investing strategy. The only people that say that there is are pattern matching and they're all VCs. And if you're pattern matching, you're never going to diversify your portfolio. So why would you want to be the founder that looks like everybody else? I, I just want to like take a moment <laughs> to like let the amount of gold that was in that two and a half minute answer, like marinate from self-love and grace to persistence yes. and consistency and resiliency to being comfortable stepping into the unknown where your intention and discipline is the only thing that's going to dictate the result to being unapologetically authentic about who you are totally. to believing in a vision and sticking with it regardless of the results or rejection. So you're just like the walking after state over here. And I'm like picking apart all these pieces. And I was like, again, I need to take you everywhere with me. I, well, like I'm, I'm listening to you. And like, I just, I just closed around to one of my companies and it was a big year. Yeah. And uh, yes. you're about to close around. And for everybody on this podcast that's never raised around or closed around, uh, it's like you require 49 hours a day. Correct. And you're trying to find more and there's no amount of calls or closure or due diligence that even tends to land the plane. And then you wonder why you're doing it all and it doesn't make sense. But then somehow the funds come and then you're like, did we really have to do it that way? Like, that's kind of what you're in the middle of right now. Yeah, 
fully so so many things that but yeah totally oh like i it's just yes i i think one of the things too is when you can be really comfortable with identifying the kind of founder that you want to be then you can like better show up in the conversations that you're having with those stakeholders and with those investors no matter i mean angel or venture right um or even like strategic investor at that point to understand like okay this is how i'm presenting myself to this human being like so long as i'm authentic with myself then like hopefully they'll appreciate that and they'll receive that you know in the right intent and if they don't they're not the right partner for me and sometimes it's really hard to get that i mean certainly over zoom and this is part of my like back to you know the zoom culture like it's really hard to identify how somebody is like receiving you especially yeah. no offense like a, a white man who's on the other end who's like you know you're asking for money right whom you yeah. just met like in what other culture, in what other community aspect would we like walk up to a stranger on the street and be like, hi, would you give me $2 million today? Yep. <laughs> you know, or 10 million or 15 or 20, whatever you're doing. Like it's it's an uncomfortable thing to do. Um, it, it definitely helps that again, I'm an extrovert and I love talking about money. It's clearly why I do what I do. Yeah. Um, however, I think the other thing that can be really detrimental to like founder mental health is just the back and forth you know it's i mean literally within the last like two hours i've been on great internal team calls or bringing on new members like blah 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 but i've also been inundated by these last minute due diligence questions and i'm like do you really need that and not only do you really need that it's also in the data room but also there becomes this like internal mental pressure of oh my God, if I don't respond to this person in two and a half minutes, they will say no, mm -hmm. which is incredibly irrational as well. So my yes. point is like, you have to recognize, especially if you're going out for venture dollars, like the entire fundraising process is a farce. Like the entire thing is make-believe and so it's like playing the lottery and some people win and some people lose. And sometimes it's like playing a lottery because it has literally nothing to do with you and your business. Yep. It's like the yeah. college process. Like it's well, the same kind of thing. And you're, you're answering it through the lens of like fundraising, but the amount of parallels just in entrepreneurship alone or marketing in general, right? Oh, like, yeah. you know, everyone's like, George, you're like, you do marketing, marketing. Like, what is marketing? I'm like, it's really a game about consistently guessing until it works. Totally. And then the moment it works, realizing it's about to stop working. So you have to go guess again and playing totally. that game because totally. like, you know, I, I like to summarize things that I hear because it helps me process. I'm a verbal processor. Right. And so like, post, yeah. yeah. And I, I went through this, you know, for a long time, making millions, losing millions, right. Yeah. Having a good one, losing it there. Yeah. And one of the mistakes that I made is I always valued myself on the result rather than the integrity of the input. And that's something that I, I work hard on now. And what I do is that you know, when you're speaking about fundraising and conversations and being your authentic self, that's really all I can control. Because yeah. after that point, there's so much nuance that's up for anybody else. And if I collect that evidence and then come back, I'm in rumination territory about like every emotional tilt decision that I can make. And so, you know, for everybody listening, like, you know, we're speaking through the lens of fundraising, but there are some incredible principle-based lessons in like, navigating as a founder and being in your truth yeah. and, and knowing what that is and being confident. And so, so I love, I love you saying it and, and I will go on tour with you. You just let me know, Great. give me the dates, 
<laughs> I'll MC your keynotes and then I'll come keynote right after you on marketing and then we'll just call it a tag team. So it's easy. I love it. That would be terrific. And also if, if financial services actually embrace marketing, we'd be in a totally different uh, state of the financial consumer. So we can unpack that. would that. be another like, that's like a six hour podcast of us like dropping an atomic bomb on a market. And being like, all right, old guard, you know, it's time to retire because there's a better way to do this. I mean, that's effectively what we're doing as a brand. So yes, I'm here. Yeah, and, and which which is what I love. And 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 before I talk about Navit, because like I'm I'm so intrigued and I feel like even in understanding what I found about Navit and what you built, I'm like, oh, they I'm their avatar, like me. Like you built this thing for me. Um Get it. that's exactly and, the response I want. And and I love it, but but I also I wanna I wanna lead in because you know one of the points that you talk about a lot is stress, right? And you yeah. talked about it with athletes, right? That and like I had a friend who was an Olympian, and I think she was making thirty eight thousand dollars a year, yeah, no, but then care. required to go compete and represent a company and be expected yeah. to win when they're like eating ramen, living in an apartment with eight people, and. Yeah. For me as an entrepreneur, right, my buddy Alex Sharfin calls this full constraint, right? And when you're in full constraint, you end up making temp you end up making decisions based on temporary feelings that create undesirable permanent results, right? And I think around money. And yep. for me, a lot of my entrepreneurial journey, I'm gonna share with you authentically my money journey, Maya. Ready? This one, this is great. I if I money. don't look. Yep. If I don't look at the account and all I focus on is adding more, then no matter what, as long as that number gets bigger, I'm not going to lose. And that was literally like seven years Whoa. of my entrepreneurial journey to where no bottom line was looked at, no numbers, no nothing, because what would happen for me and and for some context, I grew up pretty, I was homeless most of my life. And grew up with no financial literacy anywhere in my life and that I was an active duty Marine for 13 years living below the poverty line. And so everything was feast or famine, right? And so I had a million dollars in the bank and I would tell my friends I couldn't afford to buy dinner. And so I'd ask them to pay for dinner for me. And so for me is that I had no education. I had no experience whatsoever. And even the thought of like, looking at an account or looking at money scared me more than ignoring it and being yeah. like, well, if I just add another million dollars in the next six months, I'll be completely fine and somebody else will handle it. So that that's kind of where I started from. It's really interesting. Um, Thank you for sharing in, that. In, really yeah, in the not so far past, because that was only like seven years ago. Um, and I've come, I've come a long way, but I never understood how much stress, whether I consciously noticed it or subconsciously yeah. experienced it, it was driving my decisions. And it felt like mm -hmm. because it was there, every time I tried something, there was always a ceiling, right? I couldn't make it past a number. I couldn't get it past a point. Mm -hmm. And so I know stress is a massive, massive component of money yeah. and financial literacy. And it's something you're really passionate about. So would you bless us with your wisdom? around stress and yeah. all of that magic. Yeah. So um, you have a wonderful story and I think hopefully you tell it often. Um, 
because I, I think it's, that's why I have a podcast. It's really powerful for more and more folks to hear that successful people go through struggle. I always say the two things that are constant in your life, no matter what, is your body. So is your health, right? You have to take care of your physical health and your finances and that you have like sole responsibility and agency in doing so, which I think is really interesting. You know, certainly there's a huge area of that financial context where, you know, we do have restrictions based on what we look like, who we are, where we've grown up. But like those two things are your responsibility and like nobody else is going to take responsibility of those two things for you. So when you think about financial health, we often think about quantitative metrics of effectively amounting to what your net worth is. Fine. That's a numerical number. You know, that's that's like a tangible thing that you can look at at the top of the Navid app, for example, or you know, wherever you wherever you choose to manage your money under your mattress. Let's unpack that later. However, it's not that is a result of how you do, how you interact in the world, how you choose to spend, save, earn, and protect your wealth, right? Wealth can mean a, a few dollars in the bank. Wealth can mean a billion dollars, right? Doesn't matter. Like that's what cash you have to your name. Um, what you have is a result of how you've chosen to live your life to up until now and certainly how you continue to choose it later, just like our physical health is. Like if I choose to go eat McDonald's every single day, conceptually, we all know that I will probably inhibit poor health outcomes either now or sometime down the road. And so I actively choose to be proactive about the things that I put in my body. The question is, why don't we choose to be proactive about how we manage our finances, which have an even more detrimental healthcare outcome to our bodies, to our minds, to our communities, to the economy or at large. Um, so our whole thing is, okay, financial services to date, like I say financial services, I say I'm in financial services, and my group of you know uh, humanity major friends are like, yeah, you're like the devil in this group, you know, like I, I'm not because they know what I do, but they're like, yeah, you do this stodgy thing that nobody really wants to talk about. So we're not going to talk about Maya's job. I can't imagine what it would be like to come from Wall Street. I say that because we've kind of, we have this preconceived notion that we shouldn't ever talk about our money. We should therefore never reach out for help when we feel um, out of control with it. Like it's oddly this internalized burden that just amounts in more and more stress over time. And what we found is 54% of all chronic stress that leads to physical health outcomes, like poor detrimental physical health outcomes, hypertension, diabetes, you name it, all of that is a result of financial health. And yet, so that's over here. And yet we're all still focused on the mental health. Like we're not focused on the 54%, right? And so you kind of, you sit there and you're like, well, I can change all these things. I can change my fitness routine. I can change the way, what I eat and what I drink and what I, you know, kind of do to my body. But if I'm not tackling my financial health, I'm never going to achieve this optimal health performance that everybody theoretically wants, right? Like your choice is to either live and die or die, right? Like, okay. Mm -hmm. So again, our, our whole thing is saying like, well, what if we take financial services that have done such a poor job for humankind, uh, it's such a poor job in marketing to humankind, how they can actually build an outcomes-based approach to solving for all of these problems. And what if we instead looked at financial management like healthcare? 
Like, what would that look like? That would look like a brand that focuses on what the outcome, what the physical, mental, emotional health and outcome of a consumer is, rather than what that top line net worth number is. Right. And I think that that became a really powerful North Star guiding force for us to say, okay, we're going to create an app and an experience that can help people evaluate where they are today and then put them on the right path for them at that moment to achieve short-term and long-term financial goals. But in order to get people to care, like in order to get people into that system and engaging with it and using it, we had to talk to them differently. We had to say, this is a matter of your long-term health goals. This is not a matter of like, you know, you becoming a one percenter or not. And I think that that helps people at least start to frame their perceptions of what it means to manage money differently so that not only they can become more confident and capable in that experience, but that they can also reduce that stress over time that does lead to different forms of financial paralysis like you experienced, George, right? Like we can put our blinders on and we can kind of um, be so like oddly removed from this thing that is like the most impactful, detrimental determinant of our long-term health. It's just the most bizarre society um, and framework that we've, we've built for it. But again, back to marketing, it's to today, financial services benefits squarely from a non-outcome-based solution. They benefit when people go into high-interest credit card debt. They benefit mm-hmm. from you not understanding the financial system. But the financial system is not hard. Like if George and I can figure it out, I mean, George is a smart guy, but if George and I can figure it out, like literally anybody else can also figure it out too. It's not hard. Yep. But we have this brand around financial services that makes it undetermined, un, uh, is super exclusive and unattainable. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. And and if you wanted to hear the whole story, you're going to have to start a podcast and get like 12 hours of time to interview me, but I'll right. sprinkle in some parts. We right? have a podcast, so, so I will invite you on. Oh, oh, it's game on. Yeah. We'll just we'll just do a master class for eight hours. Um yeah. But you know, in hearing new, like, and I love how you speak about this. Cause like, I'm, I'm almost like reminiscing on some feelings I had and triggers I had. And, and I remember thinking back that one of the first challenges that I had is that my paradigm around money is that my self-worth was dictated by my net worth, yeah. right? Because in my life, rich people were bad and they were blank and there was like this shared suffering That was almost like a proud moment of like, you know what, we don't have enough, but we make it every time. It was almost like this addicted to survival and like using resiliency as like this code of honor, right? And then I remember a point in my career where I realized that money was a tool. It wasn't my identity. But where I got stuck was what you alluded to is that I started seeing that money was a tool, but yet I had so much shame and Mm -hmm. faults and blame and guilt around it Mm -hmm. that any time I realized that I could do something different, that pressure was so overwhelming that I didn't even know where to start. And then I wouldn't ask for help. I wouldn't know who to call or what to call because then they'll tell me I'm wrong or I don't have enough money. And then the cycle continued. Right. And it was this whole big cycle. And 
I kept getting stuck and getting stuck. And it wasn't until it was probably my wife and somebody else, but I realized that I was basically keeping myself stuck by just not trying to start a new habit or try one thing differently or, you know, put one piece aside or potentially invest in this. But that gap for me was years. Yeah. It was years of like yeah. me having an awareness that there was a different way, but not knowing what step to go into. And then it was like this like perfect storm around shame and the paradigm there. And so, you know, hearing you speak, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, thanks for coming along. You know, seven years later, bro. Thanks for the hookup, Maya. I, I know we're friends now, but like I could have used like a why didn't you get a little more hungry? You know, like seven know. or eight years ago. Yeah. I was, I was the dealing with athletes. Yeah. yeah, there you go. There you go. So, um, you know, with that, like, I, I think there's, there's probably a lot of people listening because now I understand that no matter what's in my bank account, it's just a tool that I can use and I can be doing this and I can be doing this and I can be investing in this. But the hardest part for me was taking the first step. Like I didn't even know what direction to choose to look in. And yeah. so like, how do you recommend when people are having this awareness and they're realizing that we quite frankly live in a country post-industrial revolution whose entire job is to not make us literate yeah. in financial education and protecting our wealth. Like where does somebody even begin? And you can say Nabit, by the way, I'm totally down for that. Well, obviously, no, honestly, I think there's actually a step before Nabit because I think that this is really critical, that awareness component of really like literally sitting down with yourself and asking yourself some people write it down some people just like think it through or meditate or whatever you know is right for you but ask yourself what you're more most fearful of mm. uh, in with respect of what you have financially right now and what you fear of having or having not enough of later and i think that that helps you once you answer that question then you ask yourself okay, what of that statement or what of that concept is real and what's perceived? And our head of education, Jen Sapel, huge shout out. She's amazing. She's a boutique broker herself. We brought her on. Hi, She's Jen. Shout Hi, out, Jen. Jen. What's up, Jen? Making the journey. Anyway, um, but she she said this to Aaron and I way back and I literally like, I have it. It says small note, big deal. And it says real versus perceived capability. And then there's some mm. sales um, and, but um, real versus perceived capability is, I think, the most impactful way of thinking about how you will overcome whatever financial kind of stressor or moment in time you're living through right now. Um, and that's, you know, that's that transcends finance. Right? Again, if, if mm -hmm. you've never had a fitness routine before and you've just been to the doctor and you're at risk for diabetes, for example, you know you have to start a fitness routine, right? And you sit down with yourself and you're like, how the hell am I going to do this thing that I've never had to focus on before, but literally it's a life or death thing for me to get over? You start to say, okay, what is true about my anxiety around starting something and what is just perceived? What is true is you probably have no idea where to start a fitness training plan and I can send you all the apps for that or, you know, whatever. You don't have a gym space, whatever. And then what's perceived is this anxiety of failure. But you can never, I mean, entrepreneurs know this time and time again, you can never fail if you don't ever try. Mm -hmm. 
And you have to try because you have, again, your body and your finances, you have no other choice but to try. Um, yeah. So I, that's my biggest thing. And then go download Navit. Uh, and when you download Navit, you know, I think one of the things we do better than than anybody else in the fitness app space or the, the financial app space or in just financial services in general is we celebrate where you are on that perceived versus real capability question, right? We start to understand, okay, you, you think you're terrible at managing money. You're actually not terrible at managing money. I love the people, I, we, are, we call our customers navigators. We have navigators that come in all the time and they're like, you know, you're, you're kind of asked on the beginning onboarding of like a couple of, again, what, what's your capability, like perceived capability questions. And the people that say they're worst with money often have the most amount of like savings in their savings. They have a savings account. Let's start there. Like, you know, they, yeah. like, they've been so worried about it that they've actually ironically been almost over proactive. Like I just spoke to a navigator today. Sometimes I jump on these customer calls because I'm like obsessed with them. And um, I spoke to a navigator today. To be fair, I was listening in. And she was saying she has five credit cards. And we're like, okay, but how much high, you know, how much high interest credit card debt do you have? No, she pays off the balance every single month. Like, no problem. But surely she's done something wrong with all of her five credit cards. So she wants to go close three of them. We're like, What's your credit score right now? You know, she's in the seven hundreds, and if if you know anything about credit, you know that it, I again, this is stupid, and this is financial services at its worst. But when you close a credit card because you're trying to consolidate your credit, you're trying to consolidate your balance, you're trying to consolidate your life, you're actually penalized for doing so. Mm-hmm. And so, luckily, the coach kind of you know the the automation tool like caught her. She chimed into the coach. The coach got on the phone with her. Um, but my point to that is saying she was so paranoid about not being able, about having all of these accounts out, but she actually, so she wanted to close, but she didn't realize that the actual detrimental effect to her in that moment was doing the thing that she thought was right. And that gets mm-hmm. back to the literacy component, which everybody um, in financial services, most failed fintech founders say this too, that literacy is not how you unlock financial potential. I understand where they're coming from because it's literacy paired with action that inhibits that uh, creates behavior change, 100%. But yep. if you don't have literacy, and if you think you're bad at money, and if you think you're you know you're dumb with money or like whatever it is, you lost a few thousand dollars on Robinhood one day. Every like those actions are every single time going to be worse because you're not approaching them with like a real identified understanding of your financial capability. Mm. So I think that literacy gets a bad rap because it hasn't been um, provided to the consumer in the right way. And that is a component of Navin. And I do think that that's really important um, because what this all boils down to is we live less stressful lives when we are happier people. Mm -hmm. In order to be happier with this thing that you might currently hate, you have to change the way you perceive what that thing is and what it can do for you. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love this. Um, and and just to put myself on blast again, yeah, that was one of the challenges is that 
I would recognize that things needed to be different. Mm. I would take different actions, but I never changed my perception or paradigm of the actions that I was taking. And no matter what conscious efforts I made, as soon as something happened, I would default back to my programming and behaviors that would self-sabotage and then it would go away again because that question that you said earlier about like my perceived around money, what is my biggest fear? Rather than me looking at it, I was like, let's pretend there's no answer to that question and I'm just going to go start the race. But I never gave myself the chance to finish the race right? because I didn't know how long it was or what I was going with. And so I think literacy gets a bad rap because people like you haven't existed because in order to learn, there has to be an associated action. Right. And then as you grow momentum and confidence, then your capacity to learn increases. Completely. And then you take some more action and build more confidence and then it opens up even more. Completely. And that's what I love so much about even you you speaking about this is because there were so many pivotal moments in my life that if not that if I took an action, but if I took a consistent action that actually had the chance to last. Yep. And I didn't try to swing for the fences or like, oh, I need to make a hunt. And by the way, like I'm being fully disclosed. It would be like, oh, okay, I need 200 grand. And I'm like, I'll go make it. And then I would make it, but then I would stop. And then it would stack up again and stack up again. And then I would go. And I was so addicted to that grind and the hustle because I wasn't investing in my long-term game. I wasn't making decisions that were going to ease it up over time. And it's like, you can go to the gym every January for every 30 days and then stop and then do it again. Or you can go for a five-minute walk every single day and never have to go back to the gym in January again. And from my understanding... I think that's what I love so much about what you do and what you speak yeah. about. This this isn't about being perfect or having to do it the right way. It's about picking a path and starting and right. then getting stronger right. and more educated and right. more knowledgeable and then right. doing it again and doing right. it again. And would that be a fair assessment of like what Navit helps people do? That's exactly what Navit helps people do. Again, you're on the road show. Yeah. <laughs> that Okay. I think, you know, one of the things, again, because we're also built by a behavioral scientist before that term was trendy and overused and totally bastard. Which Nir Iel is one of my dear friends who is also a behavioral scientist, wrote Indistractable. So like I'm yeah. I'm obsessed yeah. with that world. I love it so yes. much. That is so cool. Um, yeah, like Atomic Habits is effectively Navit's Bible. Like That's that's what I'm hearing. And I right, love it. That's one of my favorite really books. You know, one of the things that we have the coaches do when... Um, we have an automated now kind of coach component to this too, but early days when we noticed there wasn't a whole ton of usage, but say like they would read the newsletter every week or something, right? We were kind of tinkering with these different cohorts um, early days. We had a message that said, you know, we get it. Looking at your money at, you know, every day can be a really hard step or, or coming in a couple of times a week and setting up, connecting some accounts, creating a budget for yourself. Like these are all things that are stress inducing and therefore we put them off, right? Like we all have these long to-do lists and like, I feel like I have all this weird stuff, but I have like another thing that says like easy shit and hard shit in my to-do list. Today. And I literally like that is how my brain works. Um, yeah, I've asked you if I could curse on here, but I, yeah, you can. Oh, trust, trust me. You are on the right show. Everyone has an explicit label. Everyone. Good. Good. Okay. 
Um, anyway, so the easiest thing that we say for people to do, especially in their first 30 days of Navit, is literally just put the app on your home screen. Like, that's it. Just put the app on your home screen. And it will shock you. Mm-hmm. What will show, like how how quickly you get up to speed on your utility and your usage of Navit, you know, and again, mm-hmm. an outcomes based, proactive, preventative, healthy way, right? We're not trying to elicit bad behavior, or pre- predatory behavior, um, like a lot of other financial services. And it's back to like, how do we change consumer perception? Um, and the reason why I'm so embarrassed to say we went down this road was not because of the behavioral scientist co-founder. It was because I was not using our own app enough mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the early days. And I was like, I don't get it. And I'm very operationally focused. And so, you know, I was like the first to adapt the widgets of the phone and like the categorization and stuff. And literally when I put Navit like top widget, top left on my phone, I now use it every single day. And I'd like to think that I don't, you know, I, I manage my money well. I know what I'm doing. I'm in, you know, a very grateful state to be able to think healthily, you know, healthily about this kind of process that you go through with your finances. Um, but I still use it every single day because it's a it's a practice that literally by going in, we have a cool, quick money mindset quiz where it says, how stressed are you today? Tell us a little bit about why it literally takes 20 seconds. Just by doing that, I have said to myself, okay. Like I've done my financial action for the day. I've thought about my money once today in a positive way. And like, I'm ready to start my day. Um, just like you would check in on your self-reported, you know, whoop or Apple watch mm-hmm. or ring or like whatever else your thing is. Yep. And one of the things you said, and, and I'm going to, I'm going to really highlight this. I had a positive interaction with my money today. Positive. I love it. Yeah, exactly. You said that. And I think that's so big and huge because for everybody listening, like uh, I'm, I'm going to tell you right now that I'm not the guy in the bank accounts owning the eight companies and consulting that's looking at it all because like you alluded to at the beginning of the show, like what kind of founder do I want to be? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And I think for me, I always say that awareness is my finish line because at that point I have the ability to choose. Mm-hmm. And we figured out that the best place for me to be is not having access to the bank accounts and not looking at them every day, but I still have an awareness of them. And then I'm briefed once a week and I'm asked specific questions because I'd rather you ask me a question about why I spent that or did that than me like diving into a spreadsheet. Mm-hmm. But I'm mm-hmm. saying this for everybody listening that no matter where you are, uh, it's it's a tool. It's a it's a valuable tool. It runs our businesses. It allows us to buy freedom, to give back, to do philanthropy, mm-hmm. and it starts with having an awareness. And Atomic Habits happens to be like one of my absolute favorite books. And I think it's the only reason I'm successful because without habits and rituals, I will just self sabotage to the earth end and, and end up on a you know 24 hour YouTube binge of the most random freestyle rap and hot ones episodes you can ever imagine. <laughs> And so, in <laughs> at least at least, right at least YouTube is like quite free. I know there's a like subscription, yeah. but like at least you can do that for free. My addiction is not for free, so yes. <laughs> oh, there you go, there you go. Neither is my wife's because we have a lot of horses, and so yeah. I think by default I have to have a free addiction just so <laughs> I'm not having two two sticks in the pot, right? So 
my financial literacy is growing as are my accounts. And so yeah. YouTube, I do pay for the premium. I pay like the 13 bucks yeah. a month because I can't stand ads. You're but, you know, other than that, yeah. Other than, other than that, I, I think we're good. But I want everybody to to understand that like one of the lessons that it took me the longest to to learn was that the more I was able to have an awareness of where my money was going and how I was using it and what was coming back, the faster the game got easier for me. And it didn't mean that like the stress was necessarily reduced or the pressure was reduced, but I had a lot more confidence because I couldn't say I don't know or pretending that it wasn't there. And so this, this muscle memory of creating these moments to, to just know where your numbers are, to know what's happening, to know what you're choosing to spend on and bringing that awareness into your forefront creates so many opportunities through your day to help you make a different choice. And one of the things I asked you before the show um, was like, hey, if we got to the end of the podcast and I didn't ask you a question, what would you be sad about? And you said how fitness and finance correlate. And I'm excited to hear your thoughts on this because I feel like I'm only successful now because I've atomic habit stacked things on my life to where when I invoice a client and I get the receipt that it came in, then I'm like, oh, let me go check off the rest of them, send the receipts to the accountant, take a look at the month. Because I know when I walk into my office in the day, the first thing I don't want to do is open spreadsheets or bank accounts. Right. And it started by me correlating these behaviors. So can you expand upon that genius that you dropped on me and give everybody the insights? I, I don't know. It's genius, but I will try. Um, so, I'm, I'm, don't, don't you dare self-deprecate on my show. I said it was fucking genius. This is my show. It is fucking it's, genius. Yes. Thank you. It is. Um, I, I think that, I mean, to be fair, a little bit of what I have said um, rings true in the statement. If we all know that being fit will help improve and sustain your health over time, then we need to start thinking that finance will do the same as well. Mm-hmm. And you know, fitness and finance are directly linked because both of them take daily or you know multiple times a week. I won't stress you out by saying daily, even though I'm a fitness fanatic. But you know, multiple times a week, they both take some level of habit formation, and most importantly, they both take a realized understanding that if you continue on this path, you will get better and you will get healthier and you are very capable in doing those things. Like it's, and the best part about finance over fitness is that it's way easier to set up a budget, set up a savings account, start on your financial journey than it is to walk into the gym. Like it is tangibly easier to do those things, especially as we sit here in 2022 with like the proliferation of online banking Mm -hmm. than it is to go in and lift weights. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I think when you think about like what's holding you back from living a more financially healthy life, compare that to all of the other amazing things you probably do in your every day, especially if you're listening to this podcast. I I assume you're a type of listener who wants to improve upon their lives and therefore is is proactive about it. Um, If you realize that there are 150 other ways in which you do far harder things every single day, you can navigate your finances, whether or not it be downloading an app like Navit or Navit and putting it front-facing on your phone, 
whether or not it be list turning on CNBC on your way to work or on your way home for five, 10, whatever your commute is, like whether it be reading an article, listening to a podcast like George's and learning about like how your finances interact with who you are in the economy as a contributing member of society, like all of these things are actually very easy once you realize that it's just a system that's been set up by predatory people who want you to think that you're not good at it. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll we'll have to record a behind the scenes podcast on all the predators and you know, that'll that'll be a fun one. We'll get that one out in due time. I would in due love time. It. Let's do it. I, I I'm I have no problem doing those. Those are my favorite ones to do. I, I tell everybody I'm the most valuable liability you'll know. Um, they so love that, it. I mean, buy now, pay later. I could take a whole season of buy now, pay later. So. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That would be, that would be a big season. And, <laughs> and hearing, hearing you speak, I, I think like, I actually love this, like listening to you are so many, uh, edifying reminders that I made the right choices, but also I'm reminded of like these stressor points that were there that felt so insurmountable at the time. Like, uh, my wife was, uh, my wife was eight months pregnant. And we were three weeks away from bankruptcy. And it was one of the hardest times of my life. Oh, it's got And chills. now I look back on it and I can't even remember the feeling. No. But it was one of those catalysts where I chose to do something different. And in hearing a lot of what you've said and shared, um, the time, the reason that that was different was because it all felt so overwhelming to me, but I just made a commitment to start. Yeah. And I wasn't worried about it being perfect. I wasn't worried about me hitting the numbers, but I was like, I need to change my behaviors. Yeah, I need to change my awarenesses. Like, okay, cool. I want to get better at running. I'm just going to go for a five minute walk today. I'm going to drink some more water. And I did this. And, and like, to your point, when that happened, I also made the decision to give away a company and delete social media. I deleted a million followers and just disappeared off the internet. But where those apps were on my phone, where Facebook was, where Instagram was, I put Audible and I put my journal and I put those things and I had Nir Eyal on the the podcast and we were talking about, you know, indistractable and he actually had me pull up my phone and screen share it. And I'm like, number one, I'm glad we were friends and I knew you were going to do this. Number two, I'm glad I love my home screen. Um, (laughs) But but in but in hearing this, like if, if for everybody listening, I think the most important thing now is that something's probably resonated. There's probably a thought in your brain of like, oh, I haven't done that or I haven't looked at that or. <gasps> and I think the most important thing is to not keep moving the starting line. It's just to pick one ways to start, right? It, of course, we can make budgets and we can make spreadsheets and we can do boom. All of that is great, but choose one behavior to try and to stick with consistently and kind of earn the right to complicate it and earn the right to get deeper into it. And and I'm saying this because I'm reminding myself that I made the right decision, but I know I remember that feeling so viscerally of like feeling so out of control. But what ended up happening is that for the first time when I was met with resistance like that, I didn't swing for a home run. Yeah. Because I didn't have the capacity to anymore. And so I started making these subtle changes, I love subtle it. changes and subtle changes. And then here we are a couple years later and eight companies later and, you know, sent nine figures and all that stuff. But I can literally correlate it back to my willingness to change my behavior. Yeah. 
instead of focusing so much on the results. I love it. And so for everybody listening, I'm going to highly recommend that you take this into account. And so I can't do the spiel yet, but I have a feeling I'm probably going to become one of the biggest fucking proponents of Navit in the history of your company. Yes. Only because of you and your ability to Great. speak about it and make it fun and 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 yeah. who you are as a person. But um, every word that's come out of your mouth, I'm like, fuck yes. Yep. 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 Like I'm in. I'm in. Like you got me spokesperson. Like I'm I'm endowed now. But for everybody else, can you give them like a one to two minute spiel like Navit, how they can use it, how they can benefit from it? Because I am downloading it on the car ride home. Cause my car drives itself, just for the record, for all you get mad at me that you see videos in my car. It steers itself. Leave me alone. Leave me alone. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Thank you so much to George for having me on and for saying that. Um, of course. It really means a lot. And as you know, as a fellow founder, it really is. Yeah, no, I like and I and just for everybody listening, like I never met Maya till today. Like yeah, no. I'm fucking I am I am like so in. It's it's like creepy and like I I appreciate so much like that. I can I can feel the integrity of your words. Like I can feel the care, the empathy, the compassion. Like it's fucking incredible. So thank you for being one of the good ones. Thank you. We're trying. Thank you. Now you can see your No, I mean, I will say, hey, you know, first you can, again, thanks for listening. You can find Navit everywhere <laughs> on, you know, any or <laughs> literally anywhere. I like probably every social media channel that I, for my own uh, psychological health, uh, mental health, I did have to go off TikTok. Um, let's now yeah, follow yeah. the handles. We'll have that all. But um, I think, you know, the, the biggest uh, kind of benefit of downloading Navit, and you can actually go to your employer and get an expense through your employer. We actually do sell direct to employers too, which is really cool. Um, it's called Navit at Work. Uh, but the biggest benefit is, you know, after 12 months on Navit, you're the average navigator is likely to save around $800 more than they did last year. They're likely to uh, spend down, um, not spend down, they're likely to repay $3,000 uh, or more in high interest credit card debt. They're likely to also improve their credit scores by at least 50, per, uh, 50 points. And most importantly, we see the average navigator reduces their financial stress month over month by 50% which is huge. Um, so, you know, I have to be, I have to throw some numbers at you. Uh, but I'll take them the all end, day. At the end of the day, um, if you're questioning your real versus perceived capability of managing your own money or, you know, more detrimentally managing money for you and your family, um, please download the app or at least reach out to, you know, one of the channels and we'll connect you with one of our in-app coaches. They're all human. They're all accredited financial coaches. And, Literally, all you have to do is start um, and we'll take care of the rest. I love it. And then is the website nav.it? You can because my founder went rogue pre me in 2018 and like decided that an Italian domain was cool, but it's technically navitmoney.com. It will redirect you if you do. That. Okay. <laughs> okay. I was, I, I, I was going to ask you offline about that, but I'm glad you told me online. Like, I love it. Yeah. It's an Italian domain. So it's you know, um for everybody like listening, it's <laughs> and we'll have it in the show notes, but it's it's navitmoney.com. So N-A-V-I-T-M-O-N-E-Y dot com. And so before we land this plane, Maya, uh, I love that 
you don't know me, so you don't know this question's coming, and this makes me so happy. Oh, shit. But I want you to envision for a minute that everybody that's been listening to this show for the last 55 minutes just got men in blacked and forgot everything that you said. And in this moment, you have the ability to tattoo wisdom on their soul that they will carry with them for the rest of their life. What would your tattoo wisdom be? That financial health is the key to unlocking better health outcomes for you, your family, and your community at large. And I will take it. I will take it. And I'm going to caveat and say that your financial health is a race and you can't win it unless you start it. And so rather than moving the starting line, pick one thing today, Mm -hmm. download the app, go to their Instagram, look at your bank account balance. Do that one thing that's been sitting in your inbox from your accountant for eight weeks. Oh, wait, that's me. Sorry. Um, I'll do that today. Pick one thing and put it into practice because the only way to finish the race is to start it. And Maya, from the bottom of my heart, you you gained a friend, you gained a a confidant, a a supporter, an advocate, whatever you need. I appreciate you immensely. And so thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for sharing your genius and your wisdom and and everything in between. It was an absolute honor. Thank you so much for having me. uh, And thank you for sharing your story as well. It's great. Oh, of course. Yeah, I'm I'm sure you're going to get more of it in the future. But for Tay, we'll end the plane so they don't have to hear it for like the 360th time. So for everybody listening, this has been another incredible episode. Well, I hope it's incredible. I'm going to call it incredible incredible. episode of the George Show. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wait, that's up to them. But hopefully it was good. And uh, make sure you check out Navit. It's in the app store across the board, navitmoney.com. And today, here's your permission slip to start. Download Navit, put it in practice, and start that race today. But until next time... Remember that relationships will always be at algorithms. You will either see me in the next episode or you will hear me in your earballs. But either way, it's time for that awesome outro that I didn't make. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to another episode of The Mind of George Show. Please make sure you subscribe on your favorite channel that you listen to, whether it's in the car, on your run, or in front of the television. Make sure you leave a review to help other people know how much you love the show and quite frankly, help me know how much you love the show because I read them all. And if you want five-minute daily insider nuggets on business, marketing, leadership, mindset, or any other tool that you would need to build and scale your company, make sure you register for my invite-only newsletter. I call it the Lightkeeper Lessons. I hold nothing back here and I share everything that works for me, my friends and mentors, and thousands of my students around the world to thrive in life and keep our lighthouses shining brightly. We will eventually be charging for this, but for now, for you, because you're listening to the podcast, it's free. So if you want to sign up, go to www.lightkeeper.club, fill out the application, and then check your inbox because it's magic. You actually have to open the emails to get the gifts inside. Otherwise, you can get access to my Relationships Beats Algorithms Facebook community and other free resources on the website. So just go to www.mindofgeorge.com and I'll see you in the next episode.